I just think it's our job to let patients know that they can vote from the hospital, for them to know that it's not a choice between their health and their right to vote. It's Darlena Liu, and you're listening to Doctors Who Create. You may have noticed that our November episode is here a week early. And that's because here at Doctors Who Create, we wanted to remind you to make sure your voice is heard in our government. If you're registered to vote in the United States, Election Day is just around the corner, November 3rd. There are many ways to cast your ballot, whether you're voting in person or dropping off your absentee ballot at a ballot box. Be sure to check your local election board guidelines. I recently learned that in many states, there are ways for patients to vote while in the hospital. Here to tell us more is Dr. Kelly Wong, a fourth year emergency medicine resident at Brown University and the founder of Patient Voting. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, so, you know, just a little bit about me. I'm a fourth year emergency medicine resident at Brown University. So I'm finishing up my final year of training. Um, I will be returning back home after I'm done to South Dakota, which is my home state. Um, so I'm very excited to be closer to family again. Um, I was kind of mostly raised in South Dakota. And I think the first assumption that people have about, uh, me when they find out about, patient voting is they assume that I had a big political background. They assume like I was a kid that went to DC for a summer internship in high school or college or something like that. And it's really not true at all. I was so minimally involved in politics. Like I barely voted in like general elections, probably didn't vote in primaries in the past if I'm really thinking about it. But this whole process has made me more aware of my own practices as well. Was there a seminal moment? Like what what got you started into thinking about politics? So during the last general election in 2016, I was actually the same place that you are now, a fourth year med student. I was rotating through the hospital and I knew I wanted to go into emergency medicine. So I was spending a lot of extra time on my other rotations, just taking random shifts in the ED. And so at that point, I was pretty used to hearing some of the things that people would say when they, they couldn't stay in the hospital overnight. You know, things like, oh, I can't be hospitalized. I'm the sole caretaker for my grandma. Like, I have to go home and take care of her. And those are all things, like, we obviously understand um, people wanting to leave. Um, and there's, like, a common set of those, basically, that you hear. You know, I'm a caretaker. I am the only person that can feed my pets, things like that. And during the last general election, a new reason came up, which was I can't stay in the hospital because I need to go vote. And at that time, I didn't realize that there was a way for patients to vote in the hospital. And it caught me so off guard that I, I needed to, like, investigate it a little bit selfishly so that patients didn't leave against medical advice. <laughs> like, I wanted them to stay in the hospital. But also because I, you know, I'm somebody that cries during, like, patriotic scenes in movies. Um, and so it really touched me that they felt so strongly about wanting to vote that they were willing to risk their health basically, to leave the hospital and go do that. Um, so it was, you know, part selfish and part, like, I was very inspired by them. But really, at the root of it, I didn't think that they should have to choose between those two things. Like, they shouldn't have to choose between their health and their ability to vote. Um, so that was basically what, you know, drew me to this. And really, like I said, I wasn't a political person, but I saw there was, like, this huge knowledge gap in both providers 
who didn't also know that patients could vote from the hospital. And if, you know, healthcare workers and doctors and nurses and social workers don't know this, how are our patients going to know? I had no idea before. This is new to me. They didn't teach us in med school. <laughs> no, I know. And I was shocked by that. Two years later was the primaries and I was in my second year of residency and I kind of like the last election came back to me of patients saying this and I was like, oh, I should research the way that patients vote in my state, which is Rhode Island. But Rhode Island's very small and we're very close to Massachusetts and Connecticut. So I was like, I should look at those states. And then, you know, with all my spare time in residency, I decided to look at all 50 states with the help of like some of my coworkers. Um, and that is how patient voting was basically born. Gotcha. What was the response that you got from colleagues? I mean, I think it's part like shock and surprise, like you said, of, oh, my gosh, we never even thought of this. And everybody's very supportive. Like, I think especially in, in medicine in general and especially in emergency medicine, you know, we like to try and take care of everyone all the time. And we're very used to dealing with like unexpected hospitalizations that may catch people off guard. Um, so I think it was like a perfect blend of like, this is what the emergency department is for. And um, so everybody was very supportive. And can you tell us a little bit more about how your organization patient voting works? Patient voting uses emergency absentee ballots. Um, and what those are is it's a, absentee ballot that's used after the regular regular absentee voting deadline. So I think most people are familiar with like regular absentee ballots. The things that like college students use if they're, you know, away from home or like our military uses if you know you're going to be away from the polls on election day. But for people who maybe thought they could make it to the polls on election day and then are unexpectedly hospitalized, they might realize like, "Oh my goodness, I can't it's already past the regular absentee voting deadline. I can't use a regular absentee ballot. So they use this like emergency absentee ballot. And that's available in the majority of states, not all states. It is a volunteer-based organization. Um, you know, it's mostly me and some Brown medical students who are doing a lot of the research and kind of organizing. Um, so the Brown medical students reached out to all 50 boards of elections to verify that process uh, in each state, because it's very different in each state. And then different volunteers from different hospitals across the U.S. have reached out to us, and we've tried to work with them to figure out which process works best in their hospital. Like, what things are they capable of there? How many people do they have involved? Did their hospital approve it? Things like that. Are there certain states, which states would be the easiest to vote as a patient and in which state is it the hardest? So, for example, in a non-COVID year, I think Rhode Island is a great example of a good state. So the things I like about Rhode Island that make it a, like, quote unquote, good state for this process is that they have a really long period in which patients can vote from the hospital. It actually started last week on the 14th um, and goes all the way to Election Day. And then... Uh, in Rhode Island, the patient fills out an application for this emergency absentee ballot, and then a family member can help them, like a friend can help them, a healthcare worker can help them take that application to the county election officials where they live. And in a regular year without COVID, then the Board of Elections would send a team to the hospital, a bipartisan team of two members, uh, to help the patient vote. And I think that, you know, that reduces a lot of the barriers for patients. One, like the long 
time period. Two, anybody can help them. And three, the Board of Elections sending a team. Um, but in contrast, so for example, like a state where there's been like lots of barriers to patients voting, sometimes patients can only use a family member. Sometimes their application has to be notarized, which is kind of crazy to think that a patient in a hospital bed is going to somehow get their application notarized. In some states, your application has to go before like a go before like judicial review before like an election judge to get approved. So those are all a bunch of barriers, uh, depending on the different states that I think uh, we can start to focus on in the coming years to see if we can kind of reduce those barriers or streamline the process for patients. How has COVID changed the patient voting process this year? COVID, because of restrictions on visitor policies in the hospital and not a lot, not a lot of PPE to go around for, you know, non-medical visitors, basically. Uh, the Board of Elections has allowed healthcare workers to help patients vote and serve as a bipartisan team. So I think luckily, the only good thing about COVID <laughs> is that I think it's made people more aware of the different ways in which they can vote. Um, so people are more familiar already with like early voting and how mail-in voting works. Um, and so it's been easier to explain to people kind of what an emergency absentee ballot is this year. Um, it actually is still a little bit early for the majority of states. A lot of states haven't even started this process yet, but we've gotten way more inquiries from patients and family members earlier this year, even before those kind of, uh, even before that time frame has started in a lot of states, people are saying, oh my gosh, my, my family is hospitalized in the ICU with COVID pneumonia. How can I help them vote? Or, you know, I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to vote on election day because I just got discharged and I just don't think I'm going to be able to move. Like, can this help me? So I think compared to last election, we've gotten a lot more inquiries earlier. And how do you broach the conversation about voting with your patients? I kind of treated it like informed consent when I went around and talked to patients during the last election. You know, I'd see that they were admitted and I'd go up to them and I'd say, you know, you're going to be ad admitted over election day. You know, I don't know if this was something you were thinking about, but you can vote from the hospital if you're interested. Like, are you interested in getting information? And some people are just so thankful that you even thought of this. Like their families are thankful. They're like, oh, my goodness, I would have been scrambling in three days. Thank you. And other people are like, I am sick and in the hospital. Are you kidding me? Like, I am not <laughs> interested in voting. And I think that's fine. And I think that's just something you have to respect. And, you know, you just tell them like, oh, you know, in three days, if you change your mind, just let us know. We, we mm -hmm. still have the information here. So with patient voting, who is your target audience? Is it other healthcare providers or patients or their families? It's targeted towards all of those populations. I think, you know, we would like to encourage patients and their family members to kind of use their existing support systems to accomplish this, you know, for a patient to use their family member who's probably traveling back home anyway and can take that application back and forth, as opposed to a healthcare worker, like driving in the middle of the day to the county election office. Um, so the, another thing I realized when I learned about this emergency absentee ballot process was that I could not find the process online on a lot of these state election websites. Um, and this is even in states where I knew it existed. I knew there was a process, but I couldn't find it on the state election 
website. And this is me at home on my laptop with like 20 tabs open. Like if I can't find that out, I how is a patient on their like cell phone that has a low battery as they're like scrolling and typing and they're medically ill? Like that's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to create this website as like uh, a place to store all this like sometimes publicly available information and make it easy for patients, providers, healthcare workers to find. And what is your vision for patient voting going forward? I think that I would love for patient voting to be taken over by an organization, whether that's like a school of public health, whether that's a medical school, whether that's like a national organization. I think it should be housed under um, kind of a, an institution that has like continuity and a commitment to being nonpartisan, but continuing to help patients in this manner. So that's my number one goal. My number two goal is kind of what I alluded to earlier was helping reduce some of those barriers in certain states. And we definitely have seen that they have been able to change this process. Pennsylvania has kind of reduced the, the need for that individual judicial review. A lot of states have stepped back the need for notaries during COVID. And that's something that I think you know, would be a reasonable thing to continue even outside of the pandemic and future elections. And then, you know, states like Massachusetts have just recently, like, extended the time frame for which patients can vote in the election from, like, five days to seven days. So I think any of those changes, kind of identifying those barriers and then trying to see how we can, you know, work with the Board of Elections, work with the state government and representatives, um, to see what would be fair and safe and, you know, a good way to help patients. Mm -hmm. And I think bringing attention to it by creating this organization and also by publishing the information online, all the states can see what the other policies are. And as a point of comparison, I think that probably does highlight the need for change and is that first step in, in making things better. Yeah, you can't realize what the differences are if they're not even online. You also mentioned some research involving patient voting. Can you tell us more? Really, there's no articles like characterizing all the characteristics of emergency absentee voting available online yet. Um, And so that's kind of the goal of this research is to talk about how every state does it, the variations in the processes, different barriers, and then kind of changes that were made due to COVID this year. Mm-hmm. So that's hopefully what uh, will get published at some point. I'm sure in residency, it's an incredibly busy time. How has it been working on this project and also balancing clinical responsibilities? So I've been very lucky in that my department and my hospital and my kind of program leadership has been super supportive. And one of the perks of going to like a four-year residency, because there are three and four-year emergency medicine residencies, is that I have lots of elective time. So while I'm out like exploring, I just did a, you know, ophthalmology elective. I also did a patient voting elective. So it gave me some dedicated time to really like focus on this, apply for funding, do organizational stuff, try and like work with some med students to write a paper on this. Um, So yes, residency is crazy busy. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, there is time for the things that you love and the things that you want to do if you kind of like make space for that. And luckily, emergency medicine is shift work. So that also is helpful. 
That's great to hear. It's always really inspirational to hear people who have managed to do it and keep the creativity alive. And then I also, this whole um, patient voting, kind of making posters, making the website, making, you know, objects like stickers for patient voting has kind of really taught me a lot about graphic design. So I'm always tinkering with different designs. I just recently made a twall pattern for South Dakota. This has all come along kind of as an offshoot of patient voting. I just, you know, had to learn to make all these graphic designs by myself. I probably could have outsourced it if I had had more funding or, you know, uh, delegation skills. But <laughs> I ended up doing it all myself. I'm glad that you have found these other creative outlets too. And it sounds like these are new things that you picked up. Oh my goodness. I feel like I've just become like a, an old person. I just started embroidering by hand. So I'm trying to make some Christmas projects for people. I, I'm super excited to spend some more time doing hobbies. Thanks again so much for sharing about all of your creative projects. If you want to learn more about patient voting, go to patientvoting.com to learn how to get an emergency absentee ballot in your state. I hope you learned a lot from this episode. I know I sure did. Before you go, I wanted to bring your attention to our upcoming Reimagine Healthcare series, where we invite you to contribute your creative ideas and how we can improve the way we consult, write notes, and round. If you have any ideas, you can email us at dwcfilesubmission at gmail.com. I also wanted to take this opportunity to welcome our newest producer to the team, Mekala Nilakuntan. So look out for her interviews in future episodes of Doctors Who Create. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.